powered by passion. It's National Auto Care's Fixed Ops 5 with your host, National Fixed Operations Training Manager, Corey Smith. Welcome to Fixed Ops 5. I'm your host, Corey Smith, National Fixed Operations Training Manager with National Auto Care. Today, I'm being joined by a very special guest, Jerry Davis, Service Manager with Danville Toyota. Jerry, welcome to Fixed Ops 5. Hey, how you doing, Corey? Uh, yeah, it's a great pleasure to be on this. You know, uh, you guys and your training that you guys have has been top notch. I've seen some of it. I haven't had the opportunity to take partake in it yet. Uh, but uh, what I've seen of it is top notch. So it's a great honor and a privilege to be a part of your uh, uh, group today and uh, hopefully have your audience listen and uh, hopefully we can pick something up from each other. Yeah, this is an open discussion, Jerry. We're going to talk about the journey of a service manager. And um, before we get into this podcast about this episode, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you, maybe a little background of how you started in the car business, when you started and, and where you are right now. So I've been in the car business for over 20 years. I started off as a technician, actually. Uh, used to rebuild transmissions and work on cars and do all the diagnostics. And I had all these tools and everything. And I didn't take care of my body when I was younger. And I threw my back out, especially when I got into that transmission rebuilding part of life and uh, decided to go into a different direction and got into a dealership, worked as a uh, uh, parts person. And my whole my whole goal in life was to be a uh, um, parts manager. That's all I ever wanted to be. And one thing led to another and the service manager I was at at a little dealership in Coos Bay, Oregon. Uh, the service manager just up and left. Uh, some stuff came up in his personal life and he was kind of a one man band and just left. And so they threw me into the service manager position. I had zero training, zero knowledge of what it took to be a service manager. All I knew how to do was open and close an RO and open and unlock the door. That's all I had. Um, so through a lot of mistakes that I made over the years, uh, I worked my way up and at that dealership and became the, I was just the parts guy, went to the service manager job, became the parts and service director. Um, and then I got to a point in my career where I wanted to do something different. Uh, the area I was living in was a little rough. So I decided to, uh, to move on and, and try to move to another dealership. And uh, the one mistake I made in that move was I didn't ask the dealership of which I was moving to what their long-term plans were, or if they had any uh, plans of selling the dealership. And so I ended up going through a buy-sell. Oh. My next landing at as a service manager was a buy-sell. And unfortunately, I got dismissed through that buy-sell because they brought in their own team. It was a big auto group, and uh, they just let all the managers go. And so there I was. I became an advisor again. So I, I started writing service. And I knew that wasn't for me in the long term. I always wanted to be, you know, once I got a taste of being a service manager, there was really nothing else I wanted to do. Um, so then I went and made another move after I became a service advisor and took over a, 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 a independent tire store. I figured it'd be good experience to do that. Uh, see what the competition's doing that they do every day better than we do. Um, and then a long-term opportunity came available in uh, Port Angeles, Washington. Uh, I became the uh, service manager of four car lines up there, which was quite a challenge to run multiple rooftops, but uh, did a great job up there. I loved it up there. And then uh, through that, I ended up getting an opportunity in Texas. Uh, someone reached out to me and I just kind of became this fixer, I guess. And so, <laughs> uh, the numbers change quickly and the process is there and the procedures are there. So I just kind of become this fixer and through the grapevine of 
friends and people in the business. I've now found myself in Danville, Virginia as a fixed operations director of Danville Toyota. Wow. So this, this episode is, is just made for you, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing your journey, Jerry. Um, so again, this podcast is called the journey of a service manager. We have Jerry. So let's get right into it, Jerry. How long have you been a service manager? Uh, uh, I've been a service manager now, uh, just, you know, between service and fixed ops. I've been doing that for 18 years. Wow. Okay. You know, a lot of, a lot of things have changed, but it's amazing how much hasn't changed. But I would say the one thing that's changed dramatically is the real focus on employee engagement and making sure the employees are happy. Cause it used to be when I started in the business, it was do as I say, not as I do and get the job done. And I don't want to hear any excuses. And no explanation of why we do what we do. No explanation, just figure it out. And so my a lot of my learning early on was by attrition. Like it was either I won or I lost. And, you know, I got lucky enough to win most times because I kind of figured out the playbook pretty early on. And so that that's that's what's really changed over the last, I would say, five to six years primarily is that, you know, now we have a generation of people coming into the workforce that really need to understand why we do what we do, not just to do what we do. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And we've talked about that in, in other podcasts where not only is the customer changing, but the employee is, is changing as well. So you're spot on there. Um, let me ask you this question. What is the first thing you have done once you've accepted the job? So once you, once you said, okay, I'm, I'm moving my family. I think if I remember correctly, you moved from, was it Colorado? It was Montana, so Montana. Montana to Virginia. Uh, the first thing I do before I even accept the job is I really, you know, number one, I'm a man of faith. So I pray on it. That's number one. Uh, number two thing is I will cold call the dealership and they won't know it's me. And I will cold call the dealership and look for opportunities of improvement. I don't look to fail them and pick on them on day one. I look for things that need improvement. And so when I get to the store, I have probably listed 10 or 12 things that need to be fixed. And here's why we need to fix them. And they never knew they even talked to me. And so again, it's, I know who's the kind of the stronger person on the phone. I know who the good person is to look up parts for me. Cause I'll have bin numbers. I'll have I'll have everything I need kind of just to play a role play with them without knowing they're being role played. Uh, you know, the other thing is I, I look at their online presence. That's a huge thing these days. Yeah. And, you know, when I took this position here, a lot of things were messed up. The Google account was messed up and those types of things. And so through conversations with the owner, I was able to get online, get some of the things fixed before I was even in the store. And so it's really important to like, you know, yeah, I was moving. Yeah. It took me, you know, from when I accepted the job, I always want to give notice. You never want to burn those bridges. You give notice to your employer. Now, most employers these days, if you're in a fixed ops director position or a service manager position, they're probably going to just take your key that day. Uh, they're not going to keep you on board for two weeks, but some will. You never know. Uh, but you got to give them the opportunity to to either keep your or, or whatever. But if you've made that decision, the one piece of advice I will give you uh, was a mistake I made a long time ago is I had someone talk me into staying and then I nothing changed and the opportunity that I should have taken wasn't no longer available. So if you're out, if you're looking for something, you're obviously looking for something because you're unhappy. You're not getting something, some sort of fulfillment at your job. 
but before you make a move, I would tell anybody, make sure you look within yourself and make sure it's not something you're creating. Because no matter what, if you move to that next store, if you're the problem that you're creating all these issues while you're at work, uh, if you're the problem, those problems are going to come with you. Yeah. Well said, Jerry. Thanks for that advice. I really like that. So in staying with that topic, you you have a list of things. You've, you've done the secret shopping. You've looked at their online pl- presence. You've called and spoke to multiple, multiple, multiple people in that staff. So now you have this list. How do you know where to start? Well, the next thing I do is I, I, I try to come in pretty quietly. I don't come in and like the Tas uh, uh, the, the Tasmanian devil and, and, and just start throwing things everywhere. And, well, we got to change the world. I, I really got to see it firsthand and see what the situation is too. So I kind of developing, I'm developing my opinions as I go. The other thing I have is once I get here, I have a uh, 10 question kind of a employee survey that I give out to everybody and I ask them to fill it out. And I, one thing I tell them is you need to be as honest on this as you feel comfortable being, but the more honest you are, the more I'll be able to help change your situation. And one of the questions I have on there, if money's no object, what is one thing you would change tomorrow at your job? You know, and try to really, you know, a lot of people, you'd be surprised how many things can be fixed with a minimal amount of money and a lot of times it's not even money. It's more of a process needs to be changed or, you know, simple thing like an example here when I got to Danville was the technicians wanted the tag numbers. So the license plate numbers for the cars, they weren't updating that information. Um, not really a requirement, but the text, it was something the techs wanted. So now we started updating the tag information. Techs were happier. The advisors are happier because the techs are happier. So it, it all trickles down. So, you know, you know, getting that survey filled out, figuring out what the people's needs are and trying to tackle that list is my primary goal. I tell any owner when I go and come into a store, don't expect results in the first 30 days. You're going to see some. Uh, CSI is going to usually increase. Your hours per hour are going to increase. Your effective labor rate is going to increase. But the real change is going to take 90 days. I don't care what anybody tells you. Real change effectively to be a good, consistent, effective change takes 90 days. Yeah, I mean, that that revolves around even habits, right? It yep. takes 66 days to create a, a good habit to change what that habit was to how you want it to be. So that does make sense. So 60 to 90 days is, is rel- well within that realm. Yeah. So what does the improvement look like in regards to whether it's monthly numbers, employee engagement, hiring more employees, what is that trickle down effect from, you know, day 31 to, to day 90? I, you know, the big thing for me, I, I would say that the employee morale is number one. You're going to see a difference in how people come to work. You know, I, a lot of times you'll always have that one person that's kind of a, uh, for lack of a better term, a negative Nancy, always got some input to say negatively towards the change you're trying to implement. And when you get the negative Nancy's turning into positive Peggy's, that's when you know the change is really taking effect. You know, when you can, when you have a guy that doesn't talk to you and, and kind of grumpy and and grumbles at you when you say good morning, and because you're the you might be the fifth guy that's been in that chair and you're just another person to him. Um, you know, it's really again drilling down and, and and getting to know the people around you. And once you start showing a genuine interest in them, you know, ask them. No, don't just ask how the kids are doing. Ask how Billy's doing, how, how Susie's doing. 
you know, get to know their names, get to know if they like, you know, if they have a dog or a cat and ask them about their cat and ask them about, you know, it's, it's not just the simple things of like, Hey, how's it going? You're doing a great job yesterday. I don't know what you did, but you did a great job. Thanks for being here. People can read through that. You really have to really drill down and pay attention to the minute details of what you're praising them about. Yeah, because you're a servant leader at the end of the day. That's the role that you have taken on along with a million other things, right? Yep. And I mean, the one thing that I've, at least with this crew here in in Virginia that I've ran into so far, uh, the one thing that they're very happy about is when something does come up, I, I have their back as long as I can have their back, you know, I can't, I can't bend the rules. I can't change the rules. I can't lie for them. And I, and I'm not going to cover up anything for them, but if they've done everything like they're supposed to, and they've, and they've been transparent with the customer. And sometimes I, they just need that extra little help. I try to stay behind them and lead from behind and, and not get in their way. But when I do have to get involved, I involve them in that, in that resolution. And they're in my office on the call when I'm cu- talking to the customer so they can see, you know, where they might have made a mistake. And if they've made a mistake, I'll say, hey, my advisor made a mistake in this situation. Here's my resolution. Or, hey, you know, advisor followed company policy. As a parts and service director, I can offer you this. You know, so they get to hear the conversation. So they get to hear me either defend them or coach them within that conversation. So they, it builds that transparency and trust where, they know when that call gets transferred to me, I got their back and I'm not just in here throwing them under the bus, taking the easy route. Yeah, no. And that, that trust value, you know, pays big dividends for the team when they look at you going, you know, this guy's been here for 10 minutes and I feel like I've known him forever and he's, I know he's got my back already. Right. That's that, that really brings down that anxiety to that employee. Yeah. Then they feel comfortable to come talk to me on, on bigger issues and, you know, uh, I've had everything, you know, in my time, I sit back and reflect every once in a while. And I've had everything from people talk about their their personal lives of getting divorced, drug addictions. I, I've had technicians in my office want, telling me they wanted to commit suicide, you know, and I've just kind of become their, 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 you know, that idea person or the person that they know they can come to that I'm going to help them. Whatever happens, I'm going to help them. And so, you know, whether the advice is what they want to hear, I've always told people when I come into a store, you may not like what I have to say, but I'm going to say it because you need to hear it sometimes. And so, you know, um, sometimes you got to have those difficult conversations. But in the end, if we're all on the same page, we're all here to do a couple of things. We're all here to help customers and make money. And if we do those two things, we do if we do number one first, help customers, Number two is already taken care of. We'll make money. Yeah, well, and, and that leads me to this this question here is what if you have, uh, whether it's one employee or a handful of employees that just aren't engaged, they are negative Nancys, they're not, they're not, they're not doing the one thing that you, that you need from them. Are you having a difficult conversation with that? And how does, how does that work? Well, you have a difficult, con- yeah, you got to have the difficult conversation. You have to set the expectation, kind of reiterate that expectation. So you just keep trying to coach and coach and coach. Uh, you do everything you can to coach up out of the dip that they might be in. And if you can't coach them up, sometimes you have to coach them out. Mm-hmm. No matter what, no matter how good of an employee they were for the last 20 years before you walked in the door, they're not being a good employee now. 
And so, you know, we're all, you want to take care of the people that have been there and help grow the dealership and, and you want to be there for those people. But sometimes they're just, you know, for lack of a better term, you have to shoot a hostage every once in a while. It's the last thing I want to do. It's the last thing I ever want to do is lose somebody. Right. If you're trying to change a culture and you're trying to grow a store and you got one guy in the back that's just riling everybody up and reminding them of things that happened 10 years before you got there and just putting everybody in a negative headspace. And you keep trying to coach them out of that and they keep doing it. At some point, you're going to have to make that change. And, and those are the most difficult changes that I have to make usually within those first 90 days is it's pretty quick to know who's going to change and not going to change. And once you make that decision that they're not going to be a part of your team, then it's best to not just keep beating the dead horse and just get them out. Yeah, it's not it's not good for both both the dealership or the employee at that point. Again, it's just creating tension that doesn't need to be there. And at the end of the day, the one person that suffers is the customer. Yeah. So what questions would you recommend to other managers to ask the new employee before employer, I should say, before they take on the new role, before they make the leap from Montana to Virginia, what are, what are a handful of questions that you would say, Hey, ask these questions of that new dealership before you make that leap? Absolutely. The one thing at number one, I would ask them what their expectations are. What do they want from the store? Uh, I've interviewed with stores that, you know, they want to take their gross from $50,000 to $150,000 and they don't want to spend any more money. They don't want to do any more advertising. They don't want to do anything because they want you to come in and work miracles. So knowing what their legitimate expectations are and the other, you know, that's number one. What are their expectations? Number two, what are their long-term plans? You know, I've been through two buy sales and it's the worst experience I could ever go through as a service manager, especially being new to a store is to go through a buy sell with somebody. Um, so, you know, make sure that they're not planning on now. Sometimes you're going to make the leap and they're not going to be transparent and you're going to find that out, but it's just, that's few and far between. If you legitimately ask an owner, Hey, are you planning on being there in five years, 10 years? What's the family dynamic? You know, who's taking over the store when you retire? You know, you got to look at all those things. Are they a young owner, an older owner? Do they have five kids? Do they have just a bunch of dealership kids that don't know nothing about car dealerships? And in two years, they're going to take over. The store is going to burn down because they don't know what they're doing. You know, those are all things you need to kind of ask in those questions. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask them to send you the numbers. You know, I had a, I had a dealer principal one time tell me that they were doing this and this and this. Got boots on the ground. I took him at face value. Got boots on the ground and found out I was the complete opposite of what he told me. It kind of fluffed oh. numbers and it, there was no way to meet the, even the numbers he gave me that he said he was meeting. That store couldn't produce that because they didn't have enough techs and they didn't have enough advisors, you know. Make sure you really do your research on on the dealership. So ask those questions. You know, what do you what do you what are your long term plans? What's your five year plan? What's your ten year plan? Um, can I see the numbers? If they tell you that you can't see the numbers, then you don't need to work there. That's the one thing I'll tell you. If they're not willing to show you the numbers that they're currently producing, then they're hiding something from you, and it's not going to be good. Hmm. Okay, those those are really good. I like that. You know, um, at the end of the day, it should be transparent. I mean, a lot of dealers still don't show financial statements. If you can get them to show you a financial statement, that's even better. Uh, you know, and, and those are things because, again, I don't care about the, the 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 house in Martha's Vineyard, the boat, the, the third wife, whatever you want to call it. I don't care about those numbers. I need to look at the numbers that I can control. 
as a fixed ops director, as a service manager, as a parts manager, what do those numbers look like and where are they coming from and making sure everything's equal across the board. You know, if you get into a dealership and they're charging you a hundred thousand dollars a month of rent, you know, that's just ridiculous. So, and then, you know, the other thing is really structure your pay plan because if you look at your pay plan and you look at the numbers, those two come together. You're, you're already, before you accept the job, you should have a pay plan in hand. So make sure you have that. Never, never accept a job on the, oh, we're going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year. How are you going to pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year? I mean, are you just going to pay me a salary? How are you going to pay me? So how are you going to pay me? And what do those numbers look like? And really sit down and do the math of your own pay plan and make sure, yeah, I got to grow it to here to be able to get to there and make sure it's even tangible. Because again, you could be like the Allstate guy where, you know, the proverbial dollar and he's hanging it out there and you almost got it. You almost got it. And <laughs> you never get it. That's a good one, Jerry. I like that. Um, any good, and now you talked about, uh, it takes time, right? Anything worth doing takes patience and time, 60, 90 days. I get, we get all that, but how can you set the table or, or, or put, put it on your plate, so to speak, any good tips on how to crush your first 30 days when you walk through the door? Yeah. The best thing is, is, you know, day one, do one-on-ones with everybody. You'll be surprised how many people are like, what do you mean you want to talk to me? The last service manager worked here for five years and never said five words to me. Really take that first, you know, that first week, no matter how many employees you got within that first week, sit down, talk to them, give them the survey that you, that, you know, whatever that survey is. And I'm willing to provide that one. The one I use, I can give that to anybody any day of the week. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can develop your own questions that you want to answer. But with that first week, sit down and get to know everybody. Second week, really kind of be on the service drive. As a service manager, you got to be on the drive and see what's broken. Um, then, that, you know, the next, you know, you can split that second week service drive and out in the shop. Be out in the shop, watching the techs, see what the techs' needs are and make sure that their needs are being met. Uh, you know, that third week, you really got to start, co- I mean, you should be coaching at that point already. And if you're coaching just word tracks and things like that, um, you'll be surprised how fast things turn around. You know, simple word tracks like here. The one thing I always remind people, your appointments with your advisor, not your technician. And when I said that to the advisors, you'd have thought that I opened Pandora's box and they're like, oh my God, we never thought to say that. And they started saying that to people. Then the biggest complaint we had was no update on time. Well, you realize 10 o'clock is not your time with the tech, it's with me. Your car is going to get looked back as soon as the tech's available, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can set those expectations. So, you know, the first 30 days, you're going to, again, you're going to see an increase in, in effective labor rate just by being on the drive and listening to conversations and watching for mistakes. Your hours per hour are going to go up. Your CSI should instantly go up if you're doing everything you need to be doing to take care of the people and coach. Uh, so those would be the first three that you're going to see just an increase right away. Effective labor rate, hours per hour, and CSI should be just just a 180, you know, no matter what it is. Because obviously CSI is probably going to be in the toilet. If they've gotten rid of a manager and you're taking over a store, one of the first things I always notice is CSI is usually in the toilet. Yeah. Well, I love that, Jerry. So we're right up against the time, but yeah. I, I want to hear your your three takeaways for a technician who might be listening to this podcast, a, a service writer that wants to be a manager, and a manager that's that's in in a position where he's unhappy and wants to make that next move. 
what are some takeaways that you can tell these folks, you know, here's what you can take away from this podcast. The one thing I would tell anybody that I wish I'd learned a long time ago is one, don't ever be afraid to bet on yourself. Know yourself, know your skills, be confident in yourself. Uh, when I was younger, I had an owner that just literally beat me down. Like I was never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. And it wasn't until I started networking with other individuals that I realized that I'm actually pretty dang good at what I do. And so again, get out, get out from your comfort zone and network with people that you probably never network with. So for me, LinkedIn is huge. Uh, get a LinkedIn account, start getting on LinkedIn, network with people that do the same job as you. And I remember when I started doing that, I had a parts and service director that I worked for tell me that LinkedIn was only for people looking for a job. <laughs> and that couldn't be further from the truth. I have right. learned more from people on LinkedIn and including, I'm going to give a shout out to SDL, which I know you're, you're a part of weekly. Yep. I'm a part of weekly. SDL has helped me grow so much. Uh, other people on the network, like, you know, the crazy thing is on LinkedIn, I can sit there and I can plug in, Hey, I need help figuring out how to find this report on CDK, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Boom. Within 10 minutes, I got 15 people telling me what I need. I don't have to sit there and beat my head against the wall, Google it, do this. I can find it quickly. Um, technicians, same thing. Don't be afraid to bet on yourself. The big thing with technicians, I would tell any technician on the planet, use your voice, speak up for yourself. Don't just block yourself and say, I'm just a tech. My voice doesn't matter because the technician role in the dealership is one of the most important ones next to the service advisor. I can have advisors standing out there ready to sell work, but if I don't have technicians ready to do the work, it don't do me no good. That's right. So don't be afraid to have a conversation with your service manager. Don't be afraid. Don't be muso much macho, however you want to put that. Don't be afraid to open up and say, hey, I'm struggling. Because, you know, there's some crazy numbers Joshua Taylor brought to my attention. He's another friend of ours. Um, he brought to my attention that the, the, the suicide rate with technicians is extremely high. Wow. So, you know, it's a lot of things that, you know, you don't think about in the day to day, but a lot of these technicians are struggling. So don't be afraid to open up and talk to your service managers. It's not a sign of weakness. And if you've got a good, strong leader that's willing to listen and wants you to be successful, they'll help you find the help you need. So don't be afraid to, to speak up. There's a lot of a you know a lot of the technician stuff is anxiety that I see that they get in anxiety about when are they going to get this job done and then it's the next job and it's the next job. It's kind of like the postal worker of our business. The mail yeah. never stops. The cars never stop coming. So there's an anxiety there that we don't really realize. And you know we got to be we got to be as service managers and fixed ops directors and leaders. We got to be watching our people. And making sure they're getting taken care of. And then I love that, Jerry. That's those are great takeaways, man. Thanks so much for sharing not only um, your experience on that, but what you know Josh was telling you about the technicians and and SDL. I'm a huge SDL fan, right? Just like you are, right? It's, it's made our our lives that much easier. And if you're not a part of SDL, I'm just going to give a little plug there. Please. Jump on LinkedIn, be a part of it. It's a weekly meeting. We do it every Sunday. It's an amazing time. You grow so much um, every week. Yep. Um, it's time well spent. And then, you know, the other thing is a service manager. The last thing I would say is find someone like you, Corey, uh, with National Auto Care that has a training program. If, especially if you're a new manager, if you're an advisor becoming a manager, 
get someone in there that really knows how to coach that really knows how to take someone to the next level. And a company like yours is a perfect example. They don't come in and beat you over the head and walk out the door and then say, well, I showed you everything I know in five minutes and, you know, now you can be able to do it on your own. You, your program really takes the time to, to cultivate people, to plant seeds, to really grow a process. And so don't be afraid to ask an owner as a new manager and say, look, man, I, I have a, you know, I don't know what your budget is, but we're losing money left and right. And the money we're going to spend for this will come back tenfold if we do this now. And so you'd be surprised how many people you save by letting your ego, leaving your ego at the door and saying, hey, I need help. I can't lead all these people. I can't I can't do it all by myself. I need someone like Corey Smith to come in here and train my people. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, if you want to deliver a legendary customer experience that keeps the customer coming back to you and encouraging them to invite their family and their friends into your establishment, then you've caught the gold standard customer service vision. Do you want a more cohesive team that delivers a higher level of customer service that will result in more revenue for your dealership? We provide the tools, knowledge, and training needed to unlock that potential of your dealership. For more information on this topic and others, or to submit a question or to be a guest on the show, feel free to send me an email at csmith at nationalautocare.com. Jerry, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. And here's my last question that I ask every guest. Will you please come back? Oh, absolutely. Anytime, anywhere. Uh, if anybody should ever have any questions, they can feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, Corey would be more than happy to give you my contact information. Uh, but anybody that ne- ever needs help is struggling. I, I'm a leader that I learned a long time ago that if I don't put myself out there to help people, then our business will just become stagnant. So, you know, no matter what, yeah, we're on competition. Yeah, we're, we're trying to be the best of everybody else. But at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. We're helping people. And that's that's number one. So whether it's helping customers, helping our employees, we're going to help the people around us no matter what we do. And we're going to take that home and we're going to help our families. So at the end of the day, be a helper. Don't be a don't be a complainer. And uh, always know that I'm available no matter what anybody needs. I'm more than willing to help anytime, any day. Well, well said, Jerry. Thank you so much for being part of this episode. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And I wish you nothing but the best for the holidays. Thank you for watching and listening to National Auto Care's Fixed Ops 5 with Corey Smith, powered by passion. Be sure to watch and listen to the next episode on the 5th and 20th of every month.